Section 7 of Tish, The Chronicle of Her Excursions and Escapades, by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 The problem of Tufik's future was a pressing one. Tish called a meeting of the three of us next morning, and we met at her house. We found her reading about Syria in the encyclopedia, while spread round her on chairs and tables were numbers of silk kimonos, rolls of crocheted lace, shirtwaist patterns, and embroidered linens. Hannah let us in. She looked surly and had a bandage round her head, a sure sign of trouble. Hannah always referring a pain in her temple to her ear or her head or her teeth. She clutched my arm in the hall and held me back. I'm going to poison him, she said. Miss Lizzie, that little snake goes or I go. I'm ashamed of you, Hannah, I replied sternly. If out of the breadth of her charity Miss Tish wishes to assist a fellow man, Hannah reeled back and freed my arm. My God, she whispered, you too. I'm very fond of Hannah, who has lived with Tish for many years, but I had small patience with her that morning. I cannot see how it concerns you anyhow, Hannah, I observed severely. Hannah put her apron to her eyes and sniffled into it. Oh, you can't, can't you, she wailed. Don't I give him half his meals, with him soft soap in Miss Tish, till she can't see for suds? Ain't I fallin' over him morning, noon, and night, and the postman telling all over the block he's my steady company, that snip that's not eighteen yet? And don't I do the washing? And will you look round the place and count the things I've got to do up every week? And don't he talk to me in that lingo of his, so I don't know whether he's asking for a cup of coffee or insulting me. I patted Hannah on the arm. After all, none of the exultation of a good deed upheld Hannah as it sustained us. We are going to help him help himself, Hannah, I said kindly. He hasn't found himself. Be gentle with him. Remember, he comes from the land of the Bible. Humph! <laughs> said Hannah, who reads the newspapers, so does the plague. The problem we had set ourselves we worked out that morning. As Tish said, the boy ought to have light work, for the Syrians are not a labouring people. Their occupation is, um, mainly pastoral, she said, with the authority of the encyclopedia, grazing their herds and gathering figs and olives. If we knew someone who needed a shepherd... Aggie opposed the shepherd idea, however. As she said, and with reason, the climate is too rigorous. It's all well enough in Syria, she said, where they have no cold weather, but he'd take his death of pneumonia here. We put the shepherd idea reluctantly aside. My own notion of finding a camel for him to look after was negatived by Tish at once, and properly enough, I realised. The only camels are in circuses, she said, and our duty to the boy is moral as well as physical. Circuses are dens of immorality. Of course the Syrians are merchants, and we might get him work in a store. But then again, what chance has he of rising? Once a clerk, always a clerk. She looked round at the chairs and tables littered with the contents of Tufik's pasteboard suitcase, which lay empty at her feet and there is nothing to canvassing from door to door. Look at these exquisite things, and he cannot sell them. Nobody buys. He says he never gets inside a house door. 
if you had seen his face when I bought a kimono from him. At eleven o'clock, having found nothing in the help-wanted column to fit Tuffick's case, Tish called up Charlie Sands and offered Tuffick as a reporter, provided he was given no night work. But Charlie Sands said it was impossible, that the editors and owners of the paper were always putting on their sons and relatives, and that when there was a vacancy, the big advertisers got it. Tish insisted. She suggested that Tuffick could run an Arabian column, like the German one, and bring in a lot of new subscribers. But Charlie Sands stood firm. At noon, Tuffick came. We heard a skirmish at the door, and Hannah talking between her teeth. She's out, she said. Well, I think she is not out, in Tuffick's soft tones. You'll not get in. Ah, but my toes are in. See, my foot wishes to enter. Then something soft, coaxing, infinitely wistful, in Arabian, followed by a slap. The next moment, Hannah, in tears, rushed back to the kitchen. There was no sound from the hallway. No smiling Tuffick presented himself in the doorway. Tish rose in the majesty of wrath. I could strangle that woman, she said, and we followed her into the hall. Tuffick was standing inside the door with his arms folded, staring ahead. He took no notice of us. Tuffick, Aggie cried, running to him. Did she? Did she dare? Tish, look at his cheek. She is a bad woman, Tuffick said somberly. I make my little prayer to see Miss Tish, my mother. And she, I kill her. We had a hard time apologizing to him for Hannah. Tish got a basin of cold water so he might bathe his face, and Aggie brought a tablespoonful of blackberry cordial, which is soothing. When the poor boy was calmer, we met in Tish's bedroom, and Tish was quite firm on one point. Hannah must leave. Now this I must say in my own defense, I was sorry for Tuffick. And it is quite true I bought him a suit and winter flannels and a pair of yellow shoes. He asked for yellow. He said he was homesick for a bit of sunshine, and our so sombre garb made him heart sad. But I would never have dismissed a cook like Hannah for him. I shall have to let her go, Tish said. He is oriental and passionate. He has said he will kill her, and he'll do it. They hold life very lightly. Hm, I said. Very well, Tish. That holding life lightly isn't a Christian trait. It's Mohammedan. Every Mohammedan wants to die and go to his heaven, which is a sort of sublimated harem. The boy's probably a Christian by training, but he's a Mohammedan by blood. Aggie thought my remark immoral and said so, and just then Hannah solved her own problem by stalking into the room with her things on and a suitcase in her hand. I'm leaving, Miss Tish, she said with her eye-rims red. God knows I never expected to be put out of this place by a dirty dago. You'll find your woolen stockings on the stretchers, and you've got an appointment with the dentist tomorrow morning at ten. And when that little blackguard has sucked you dry, and you want him killed to get rid of him, you'll find me at my sister's. She picked up her suitcase, and Tish flung open the door. You're a hard-hearted woman, Hannah McIntyre, Tish snapped. Your sister can't keep you. You'll have to work. Hannah turned in the doorway and sneered at the three of us. Oh, no, she said. 
I'm going to hunt up three soft-headed old maids and learn to kiss their hands and tell them I have nobody but them and God. She slammed out at that, leaving us in a state of natural irritation. But our rage soon faded. Tufik was not in the parlour, and Tish, tiptoeing back, reported that he was in the kitchen and was mixing up something in a bowl. He's a dear boy, she said. He feels responsible for Hannah's leaving and he's getting luncheon. Hannah is a wicked and uncharitable woman. Man's inhumanity to man makes countless thousands mourn, quoted Aggie softly. From the kitchen came the rhythmic beating of a wooden spoon against the side of a bowl, a melancholy chant, quite archaic, as Tish said, kept time with the spoon, and later a smell of baking flour and the clatter of dishes told us that our meal was progressing. The Syrians, read Tish out of her book, are a peaceful and pastoral people. They have not changed materially in nineteen centuries, and the traveller in their country finds still the life of biblical times. Something's burning. Shortly after, Tufik, beaming with happiness, and Hannah, clearly forgotten, summoned us to the dining-room. Tufik was not a cook. We realised that at once. He had made coffee in the oriental way, strong enough to float an egg, very sweet and full of grounds, and after a bite of the cakes he had made, Tish remembered the dentist the next day and refused solid food on account of a bad tooth. The cakes were made of lard and flour, without any baking powder or flavouring, and the tops were sprinkled thick with granulated sugar. Little circles of grease melted out of them onto the plate, and Tufik, wide-eyed with triumph, sweetly wistful over Tish's tooth, humble and joyous in one minute, stood by the cake plate and fed them to us. I caught Aggie's agonised eye, but there was nothing else to do. Were we not his friends? And had he not made this delicacy for us? On her third cake, however, Aggie luckily turned blue round the mouth and had to go and lie down. This broke up the meal and probably saved my life, though my stomach has never been the same since. Tish says the cakes are probably all right in the Orient, where it is hot and the grease does not get a chance to solidify. She thinks that Tufik is probably a good cook in his own country. But Aggie says that a good many things in the Bible that she never understood are made plain to her if that is what they ate in biblical times. Some of the things they saw in visions and all that. She dropped asleep on Tish's lounge and distinctly saw Tufik murdering Hannah by forcing one of his cakes down her throat. The next month was one of real effort. We had planned to go to Panama and had our passage engaged, but when we broke the news to Tufik, he turned quite pale. You go away, he said wistfully. Only for a month, Tish hastened to apologize. You see, we, we are all very tired, and the Panama Canal. Canal? I know not a canal. It is for ships. You go there in a ship? Yes, a canal is a, you go far in a ship, and I, I stay here? Only for a month, Aggie broke in. We will leave you enough money to live on, and perhaps when we come back, you will have found something to do. For a month, he said brokenly, I have no friends, no Miss Tish, no Miss Liz, 
No, Miss Pilk, I die. He got up and walked to the window. It was Aggie who realized the awful truth. The poor lonely boy was weeping, and Charlie Sands may say what he likes. He was really crying. When he turned, there were large tears on his cheeks. What made it worse was that he was trying to smile. I wish you much happiness on the canal, he said. I am wicked, but my sad heart, it ache that my friends leave me. I am sad, if only for my sister. That was the first we had known of Tufik's sister, back in Beirut, wearing a veil over her face and making lace for the bazaars. We were to know more. Well, between getting ready to go to Panama and trying to find something Tufik could do, we were very busy for the next month. Tufik grew reconciled to our going, but he was never cheerful about it, and finding that it pained him, we never spoke about it in his presence. He was with us a great deal. In the morning he would go to Tish, who would give him a list of her friends to see. Then Tish would telephone and make appointments for him, and he would start off hopefully with his pasteboard suitcase. But he never sold anything except a shirtwaist pattern to Mrs. Ostermeyer, the minister's wife. We took day about giving him his car fare, but this was pauperizing and we knew it. Besides, he was very sensitive and insisted on putting down everything we gave him in a book to be repaid later when he had made a success. The allowance idea was mine and it worked well. We figured that, allowing for his washing, which was not much, as he seemed to prefer the celluloid collar, he could live in a sort of way on nine dollars a week. We subscribed equally to this, and to save his pride, we mailed it to him weekly by cheque. His failure to sell his things hurt him to the soul. More than once we caught tears in his eyes, and he was not well. He could not walk any distance at all, and he coughed. At last Tish got Charlie Sands to take him to a lung specialist, a stupid person who said it was a cigarette cough. This was absurd, as Tufik did not smoke. At last the time came for the Panama trip. Tish called me up the day she packed and asked me to come over. I can't, I'm busy, Tish, I said. She was quite disagreeable. This is your burden as well as mine, she snapped. Come over and talk to that wretched boy while I pack my trunk. He stands and watches everything I put in, and I haven't been able to pack a lot of things I need. I went over that afternoon and found Tufik huddled on the top step of the stairs, outside Tish's apartment, with his head in his hands. She has put me out, he said, looking up at me with tragic eyes. My mother has put me out. She does not love Tufik. No one loves Tufik. I am no good. I am a dirty dago. I was really shocked. I rang the bell and Tish let me in. She had had no maid since Hannah's departure and was taking her meals out. She saw Tufik and stiffened. I thought I sent you away, she said, glaring at him. He looked at her pitifully. Where must I go, he asked and coughed. Tish sighed and flung the door wide open. Bring him in, she said with resignation, but for heaven's sake, lock him in a closet until I get my underwear packed, and if he weeps, slap him. The poor boy was very repentant, and seeing that his cough worried us, 
he fought it back bravely. I mixed the white of an egg with lemon juice and sugar and gave it to him. He was pathetically grateful and kissed my hand. At five o'clock we sent him away firmly, having given him thirty-six dollars. He presented each of us with a roll of crocheted lace to take with us and turned in the doorway to wave a wistful final goodbye. We met at Tish's that night so that we might all go together to the train. Charlie Sands had agreed to see us off and to keep an eye on Tufik during our absence. Aggie was in a palpitating travel ecstasy, clutching a patent seasick remedy and a map of the canal zone. Tish was seeing that the janitor shut off the gas and water in the apartment and Charlie Sands was jumping on top of a steamer trunk to close it. The taxi cab was at the door and we had just time to make the night train. The steamer sailed early the next morning. All ready, cried Charlie Sands, getting the lid down finally. All off for the big ditch. We all heard a noise in the hall, a sort of scuffling with an occasional groan. Tish rushed over and threw open the door. On the top step, huddled and shivering, with streams of water running off his hair, down over his celluloid collar, pouring out of his sleeves and cascading down the stairs from his trouser legs, was Tufik. The policeman on the beat was prodding at him with his foot, trying to make him get up. When he saw us, the officer touched his hat. Evening, Miss Tish, he said, grinning. This here boy of yours has been committing suicide. Just fished him out of the lake in the park. Get up! snapped Charlie Sands. You infernal young idiot! Get up and stop snivelling! He stooped and took the poor boy by the collar. His brutality roused us all out of our stupor. Tish and I rushed forward and commanded him to stand back, and Aggie, with more presence of mind than we had given her credit for, brought a glass containing a tablespoonful of blackberry cordial, into which she had poured ten drops of seasickness remedy. Tufik was white and groaning, but he revived enough to sit up and stare at us with his sad brown eyes. I wish to die, he said brokenly. Why do you not let me die? My friends go on the canal. I am alone. My heart is empty. Tish wished to roll him on a barrel, but we had no barrel. So, with Charlie Sands, standing by with his watch in his hand, Refusing to assist in making unkind remarks, we got him to Tish's room and laid out on her Macintosh on the bed. He did not want to live. We could hardly force him to drink the hot coffee Tish made for him. He kept muttering things about his loneliness and being only a dirty dago, and then he turned bitter and said hard things about this great America, where he could find no work and must be a burden on his three mothers, and could not bring his dear sister to be company for him. Aggie quite broke down and had to lie down on the sofa in the parlour and have a cracker and a cup of tea. When Tish and I had succeeded in making Tuffick promise to live and had given him one of his own silk kimonos to put on until his clothing could be dried, Charlie Sands, having disagreeably refused to lend his overcoat, and when we had given the officer five dollars not to arrest the boy for attempting suicide, we met in the parlour to talk things over. Charlie Sands was sitting by the lamp in his overcoat. 
He had put our railway and steamer tickets on the table and was holding his cigarette so that Aggie could inhale the fumes, she having hay fever and her cubebs being on their way to Panama. I suppose you know, he said nastily, that your train has gone and that you cannot get the boat tomorrow. Tish was in an exalted mood and she took off her things and flung them on a chair. What is Panama, she demanded, to saving a life? Charlie, we must plan something for this boy, if you will take off your overcoat. And see you put it on that little parasite, not if I melt. Do you know how deep the lake is? Three feet. One can drown in three feet of water, said Aggie sadly, if one is very tired of life. People drown themselves in bathtubs. Tish's furious retort to this was lost, Tufik choosing that moment to appear in the doorway. He wore a purple and a gold kimono that had given Tish bronchitis early in the winter, and he had twisted a bath towel round the waist. He looked very young, very sad, very oriental. He ignored Charlie Sands, but made at once for Tish and dropped on one knee beside her. Miss Tish, he begged, forgive Miss Tish, Tufik is wicked. He has the bad heart. He has spoiled the going on the canal, no? Get up, said Tish. Don't be a silly child. Go and take your shoes out of the oven. We are not going to Panama. When you are better, I am going to give you a good scolding. Charlie Sands put the cigarette on a book under Aggie's nose and stood up. I guess I'll go, he said. My nerves are not what they used to be, and my disposition feels the change. Tufik had risen, and the two looked at each other. I could not quite make out Tufik's expression. Had I not known his gentleness, I would have thought his expression a mixture of triumph and disdain. The Assyrian came down like a wolf on the fold, and his cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold, said Charlie Sands, and went out slamming the door. End of section 7